See, before God called me back home to start a church here in San Antonio for eight years, we served at a wonderful church in Arkansas. I was a youth pastor. And for eight years, we'd take our youth group to different places. You couldn't take those kids anywhere without them calling the hogs. It was embarrassing. I mean, it was, pig, suey, razorbacks. It was like everywhere. They were loud. They were proud. They, that's all they had in their entire state. They don't have any professional teams. So they were very passionate about their hogs. And uh, I was very passionate about my longhorns. So uh, we, we, we butted heads a lot, a lot. And one year we met up in the, the Cotton Bowl. And so they made a bet with me. And I was like, all right, I can't back down. Can't be ashamed to burn orange. And so we knew we were getting ready to go to an activity. I was going to take a trip, take about 75 of them down to the, uh, to the ballpark at Arlington for a Texas Rangers game. And whoever won the Cotton Bowl, the loser would have to dress up in the opposite colors of the team. And if the, if the Longhorns win, which they were going to win, all of the students would have to dress in burn orange and sing the eyes of Texas are upon us there during the game in front of thousands. I couldn't wait. I had the vision. It was going to be a moment that I was going to rub their faces in the rest of their lives, man. It's going to Longhorns lost. I know. And so I had, to, I had to make true on my bet and I had to dress up like a Razorback and call the hogs in front of God, country, the state of Texas. I brought great disgrace to my own life, my family, Jesus himself. And, uh, but you know what happened? They conformed me to their world. They conform. And what happened to me in the sports world, I don't want to happen to you as a church in the world we live in. You see, like sports, politics make terrible idols. We are told in the word of God, the last verse in 1 John chapter 5, to keep ourselves from idols. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says, do not be conformed to the world, to the cultures in this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so we are to have the mind of Christ. How many of you agree that now more than ever, we are to have the mind of Christ? And so in a country that, it, it, I mean, there's a lot of uncertainty, right? Some of you are here today and you're struggling. Some of you are afraid. Some of you are feel relieved. Others of you feel deceived. And I want you to know that as we talk a bit about politics on the stage, I always talk about religion. So before the emails start pouring in, what you talk about at your dinner table and at work, I feel like we need to address as a church, especially from the angle of the word of God. But I want you to know that no matter who ultimately wins this election, Jesus will always win. All right. And this is our opportunity for us to win as a church. And it won't happen by accident. It'll happen when we come together, united in what we focus on. So we become what we worship on. And I'm glad that you've come together to the house of the Lord to worship Jesus Christ above anyone or before any other kingdom. So let's open up our Bibles to John chapter 18 and discover Jesus and his words. See, he was pressed with politics all the time. Remember when people came up to him with a coin that had Caesar on one side and they say, well, who does this belong to? And Jesus said, give to God what belongs to God, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. And so he, there was always these political conversations that Jesus had. So this is right before he was crucified and he was taken before Pilate. Pilate wanted to know what side he was on. Verse 33, it says, then Pilate entered the praetorium again called Jesus and said to him, are you king of the Jews? He's like, are you leader of this group? 
Jesus answered him, are you speaking for yourself about this or did others tell you this concerning me? Jesus cares who you listen to. You need to be careful of whose opinion you listen to and get into your heart. Notice Jesus's response. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should be delivered to the Jews. But, my, but now my kingdom is not from here. He's saying my kingdom is not from here. He's, he's making a crucial statement that we can't ever forget and that his kingdom, the kingdom of God, is bigger and better than any earthly kingdom here. It's bigger and better than any political party, that Jesus is the king, that we go to him first. I like what Pastor Tony Evans said, that Jesus didn't come to take sides, he came to take over. And we are his followers. We are citizens of the kingdom of God, and so we are to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and the promise of scripture is that all the other things will be added to us. So all the other things that sometimes we get so worried or preoccupied with, they're going to work itself out if we stay focused to Jesus first. So let's focus on Jesus. And again, I know that today the, the reality is that there's so many in our country that are afraid, that are uncertain. And my concern as a pastor is that that kind of attitude and that confusion and that fear would infiltrate and trickle down to us as a church. But we cannot allow that to happen that we can find our peace, our joy, our love in Jesus Christ, that we belong to a kingdom that will never be shaken, that Jesus was on the throne before the election, it's on the throne now, and he will always be on the throne. Nothing takes God by surprise. He's not worried or afraid, and we as his children don't have to be worried or afraid because our trust is in him. Our confidence is in Jesus, amen? And so notice, uh, if you flip over to John chapter 17, just one chapter, this is the night he's betrayed. He gives his final prayer request to his disciples. This was his heart's desire. This was his burden for the church, all right? He says, I do not pray. Here's the reality. He's praying for his disciples. This is a moment before he's about to leave them in the flesh. And this was a very uncertain time in the first century. There was a lot of tension politically in, the, in those earthly kingdoms. They were living in Israel, but they were living under Roman oppression. So you had that tension. There was tension in religion with Judaism and Christianity. So there's all this tension happening. And many people there were like, I don't know how much more I can take of this. I'd like to just be delivered from this. How many of you have ever felt like that, especially recently? Like, how much more do we have to face this year? Like, I just want to be delivered and get out of this world. How many of you just kind of felt like that? And it's like, well, notice how Jesus prayed. He says, I do not pray that you shall be taken out of this world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. I think sometimes we get confused on who the evil one is. Listen, friends, the evil one is not Joe Biden. The evil one is not Donald Trump. The evil one is not your friends or people who belong to a different political party than you. Why do I know this? Because the Bible says that our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's against principalities and powers of the air. We have one enemy. Jesus says one enemy and he's the father of lies. Let's remember that, all right? Let's remember who the enemy is. He says, they are not of this world, just as I am not of this world. I do not pray for these alone. This is so amazing. He's not just praying for his disciples there. He's praying for his future followers. He's praying right here. He's praying for you. He's praying for me right here. He says, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. 
And here's the desire. Here's the big prayer request that Jesus has to his father. That they may all be, how many? One. They may be one. All right, he says, as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be Democrats. Is that what it says? That they may also be Republicans. Is that what it says? No, he says, they shall be how many? One in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. Here's the motive. Here's the why. This is the end goal of Jesus, that they would know that Jesus is Lord, that God and Father in, the, in heaven, he is the, the, the savior of the world. He is the king of kings and the Lord of, that is the, that's why, that's what's at stake right now for us as a church. We're living in a time where it feels very divided. It feels like we're living in the divided states of America, right? So how as a church family are we gonna respond post-election? How are we gonna have this mind of Christ? We need to remember the words of Jesus. His prayer for us is that we be how many? One, that we be united. How are we going to be united? I wanna challenge you today with six ways that we can be united. Six ways that we can be united. First, we must be united in our allegiance. We must be united in our allegiance. Notice the end of verse 22 and 23. It says, and the glory which you gave me, I have given them that they may be one just as we are one. I and them and you and me, that they may be made perfect in one, and the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. As part of Jesus's church, we are followers of Jesus first and citizens of America second. All right, we cannot get confused in that. We cannot elevate anything above Jesus and his kingdom. To do that is idolatry. But I ask you, what have you been giving your time and attention and the devotion of your heart to? If you've been so discouraged or if your joy has been robbed, the peace of mind has been robbed, is it because you've been giving more allegiance to a earthly kingdom, to things on this earth that are, should be secondary or third? Never forget, my friends, that the kingdom of God should be first. That we live here, we're citizens of a wonderful country. And yes, we should be patriotic. We should be good citizens. We are called. The Bible says we are called to do that. But we are first and primarily called to the kingdom of God. As followers of Jesus, we belong to a heavenly kingdom. We are like Daniel and Esther and Nehemiah, who, who although they were displaced and they felt like they were um, citizens or they, were, they felt like aliens or foreigners, we too, our home, this is not our home. We know that, right? Eternity, for eternity, heaven is our home. We're passing through right now. So let's not get so tied to this earthly kingdom that we'd, that we'd forget that Jesus is our king and we belong and should be pledging our allegiance to him first. First Peter 2, 9 says, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. How many of you can remember a time when you were walking in darkness, but Jesus saved you, forgave you, healed you, and now you're walking in light and you have confidence in him that your eternity in him is secure because you are gonna follow Jesus all the days of your life. Let's never forget that, friends, and that we are pledging our allegiance first to Jesus, to his kingdom, and that nothing else will circumvent that. 
It's a gateway fellowship church. It's in our name. The word fellowship comes from the Greek word koinonia. It's not a common everyday term or, or word, but it means a relationship where Jesus is at the center. If Jesus is not at the center, then the secondary issues could divide us. If we allow political stances to divide us, then Jesus was never at the center. But if Jesus is at the center, then all these other issues can never divide us. They can never cause us to break fellowship. We should never leave or, or get offended or hurt because of these other issues, amen? So if Jesus is at the center, we will be united because the purposes of the Lord will hold. The word of God will remain forever. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is unchanging in his character. His kingdom, again, is unshakable. So first, let's be united in our allegiance. Second, let's be united in our love. Our love. You know, it's easy to look around and see people who don't look like us, don't believe the way we believe, don't have the same political stance that we have. And what happens is there can be cause, there can cause separation or we can, we can get upset we can even say, man, I don't like that person. You know what the word of God says in 1 John? If you do not love your brother, if you hate your brother, then you are a liar and the love of God is not in you. Those are some strong words. Those are God-breathed words. They're in the word of God. And we need to check ourselves if we've allowed ourselves to think other people are an enemy or we don't like or we, we hate or we have, or we have uh, bitterness or hurt towards someone because of what they've said or how they believe. As followers of Jesus, we need to love. We are to express our love, like to choose the highest good. I love that, that love is choosing the highest good for someone else. There's a servant's heart to that love. So how can we express our love to our fellow brother and sister? Because if we can't do it to our own brothers and sister in this church family and those who we belong to in a small group, how are we ever gonna love the world who's lost? And we should have a burden and love for them as well because every soul matters to the Lord. And so, how do we express our love? I want to give you two tangible ways, two practical ways to express your love. Let's express our love through honor. We are living during a time where there's great polarization. There's a lot of animosity. You read it, you see it on the news and the, on social media. You've heard it from friends, neighbors, maybe even family members. Maybe you've even shared words yourself that would cause division and separation. And we need to be careful that we don't do that but we honor instead. Galatians chapter five, verse 15 says, but if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you could be consumed by one another. If our church is defeated, then we, if our church is divided, then we are defeated. We must remain united, one as Jesus and his father are one. May we be one in him and one with each other. May we honor others better than ourselves. That's what honor means. It means to esteem someone as better than ourselves. We would honor those who are in authority above us. That, that includes, the Bible says we are to pray for those in civil authority, family authority, social authority, church authority. We are not to be rebels. We are not to have so much pride or selfishness that we would quarrel, complain, gossip about. But may we honor with our words, our attitude, the tone of our voice. May we honor those who are above authority of us. And may we honor those who are below authority those who work for us, those of our children, can we honor them? Can we esteem them better than ourselves? Scripture tells us to do so. May we be men and women who honor. This is our opportunity as a church. When there's so much dishonor going on, let's honor. Let's honor with our words and build up and lift up. 
and represent Jesus well. A second way we can express our love is through forgiveness. Again, there's a lot of hurt right now, a lot of bitterness, confusion, and we can't let those those seeds infiltrate our heart and cause us to go on a, a cycle of bitterness because it'll create so much division. And I don't want that for our church. I don't want that for you and your heart because it'll affect your marriage. It'll affect your family. We need to live in a way that we constantly forgive each other. Could you have it as your goal to be unoffendable? That, that because Christ has forgiven you so much, you will walk in forgiveness of others. Listen, it's just a matter of time before someone doesn't meet your expectations. Even as a pastor, you just give me enough time, I'm gonna say or do something that I'm gonna let you down. It's not gonna be the mode of my heart, but I, I, I'm gonna do something. But don't let that be a reason that you, you, you lose heart. But put your allegiance in the Lord and let's walk in forgiveness. This is what the word of God says in Ephesians 4, 32. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. So why should you forgive others? You should never forget that the Lord has forgiven you. How many of you have been forgiven much? And so may you offer that forgiveness, mercy, compassion, and love to others, whether they apologize or not. Let's walk in constant forgiveness and show the love of Christ to others. Let's be united in our allegiance. Let's be united in love. And third, let's be united in our mission. What was the mission of Jesus? The Gospel of Luke says that he came to seek and save those who were lost. Many of us were once lost, but Jesus found us, right? And we have a mission. Lost people find people. Save people save people. And we need to do that. Jesus told us to proclaim the good news of of Jesus to the ends of the world. Then the end will come. Matthew 28, go and make disciples, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And lo, I will be with you always. The promise of God is that we will have his presence when we are fulfilling what he asked us to do. He's asked us to go and make disciples. The mission of our church will not change. It's six words, helping friends become devoted followers of Jesus. This is why we exist as a church. We must be united in our focus and not allow anything to distract us from that. If you believe in this mission, will you repeat it with me out loud? Helping friends become devoted followers of Jesus. Let's get it in our hearts and our minds one more time. Helping friends become devoted followers of Jesus. We proclaim the good news of Jesus. We make disciples, but it happens in the context of a relationship, a friendship. This is why we're passionate about discipleship in small groups. We desire for every single one of you to belong to a small group and in time as you grow in maturity, that you would take responsibility, that you would be an unselfish friend for others, your children first, but people in our community who come to know Jesus, that we can help them become a devoted follower of Christ. This is our opportunity This is is our opportunity as a church to to be the light and the love of Christ. But the evangelical church has some work to do. We've got to rebuild some credibility. And we're going to do that through kindness, love, fulfilling our mission to start more small groups, to start new churches, to send more missionaries behind Tony and Cora. Who will come after them? Who will listen to the call? You know, a lot of times division can happen and people can rock the boat. You know what the good fix of rocking, someone rocking the boat? You put an oar in their hands. 
Some of you, it's time that you join the mission and you start serving as volunteers and join what God is doing in the kingdom of God. Join in a small group. Join a new church planning team. And we can fulfill God's great commission here in our city, here and there. So let's be united first in our what? Our allegiance. Second, be united in our what? Love. Third, united in our mission. Fourth, let's be united with our Christian values. Our Christian values. We have, must understand what the beliefs are in the word of God and let them be our convictions and our standards that we will not compromise, that we will not give away from no matter what is said or done that would erode that. It seems like every single year that passes, there's a more of a moral decline. More of our Christian values are being threatened. And so no matter what happens in the future, let's hold tight to our convictions. Let's have strong biblical and moral values that the church follows a holy God, that we are his holy people, that we will not compromise even when the world around us, even our country may begin to compromise. Amen. Let's hold true to the word of God. Let's have standards in our life. Let's walk. Let's teach our children. Let's teach those in our small groups. Let's model and teach with conviction. What are some of those Christian values? Well, first, religious freedom. Because of you service, men and women, veterans, we have wonderful freedom to worship the Lord in this building, but religious freedom goes beyond that. Religious freedom includes having to go against maybe even the government that would get us to compromise our biblical beliefs and values. And so we must hold tight to this. The first, very first amendment of the United States says, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. The threats of religious freedom are becoming more and more real every passing year. But we are called to always express our worship to the Lord. And we must know that we always have that freedom. Second value we must treasure, that is the sanctity of human life. Sanctity of life. We need to fight for, protect, pray for the lives of the unborn. But not just the unborn lives, but whole life. From conception to death, we need to treasure life, right? Like, like the, the, the soul of the orphan matters. As a church, we need to step up and foster and adopt. We need to be the first ones that run to the orphans who need to be adopted. I'm so grateful, Tony, that once you were an, an orphan, but a Christian family adopted you. And look what God's doing in, in your life as a result. There are many more orphans that if we just bring into our homes and disciple, God will use them to be world shakers for his kingdom. But we must protect and honor sanctity of life. We must hold true to the Christian value of Christian marriage and family. See, the family is God's original building block for society. Christian marriage is being threatened. Laws are being passed. Jesus was very clear of what a Christian marriage is between a man and a woman. And there is a relentless at removing, there's a relentless attack at removing this foundation. But when it comes to the sanctity of marriage, the Bible stance is non-negotiable and unchanging. Let's hold true to this. Amen. So we're united in our first what? Our allegiance. Second, we are united in our Love. Third, we are united in our mission. Fourth, we are united in Christian values. Next, may we be united in perseverance. 
People, if you haven't noticed, are losing their minds, y'all. It's all around us. But can we as God's people, can we as a church, let this be our opportunity? Because Jesus, again, he is not shaken. He's not worried. He's not afraid. And so we don't need to be afraid. Our joy, our peace, our love is based on who Jesus is, his character. And so let us walk in peace, joy, and love as well. No matter what happens here on earth, again, our eternity is in heaven. That's our heavenly home. Let's never forget that or lose sight of that. So as a church, let's show some grit, all right? Perseverance, I love the word. It says to persistence in doing something despite difficulty. How many of you have ever, you remember, those of you who are military, how many of you remember at the very beginning you had basic training? Raise your hand. You remember that season, right? And some of you served and you were deployed. Some of you were in combat and you remember how difficult that was and how you were placed in, in situations that your very life and those who you fought with were being threatened. And it would have been tempting to say, I don't want to be here. But you held true. You, you, were, you didn't leave. You, hopefully you didn't betray your, your squadron or your country, but you remained faithful. We need to do the same thing to the kingdom of God, to Jesus, that we are not going to bow down. We're not going to lose heart. We're not going to quit, but we're going to stick together. We're not going to hit the panic button. We're going to show some spiritual resolve. We're going to be unified. And what's going to happen is that people are going to notice. They're going to notice that the church, no matter if things get worse and reality check, things could get worse before they get better. But no matter how bad things get, let's be united. Let's show the world that we follow a God who is full of love and that he cares and he wants to redeem those around us. Finally, let's be united in prayer. This is a time not to, I, mean, I really believe that when, it, when we're tempted to worry, the prescription will always be prayer. When we humble ourselves, that's how to have a mind of Christ that's how we renew ourselves every single day when we abide with him, when we spend time in the word of God, when we come together in small group and as a church family, let's pray. And so today I'd ask that this become the house of prayer, that we, we, we bow our heads and turn to the Lord in prayer. Scripture says in 2 Chronicles seven fourteen, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for your presence even now. Holy Spirit, you are welcome. I pray for all of those who are here today who feel afraid about the uncertainty of our times. God, our trust is in you. We love and we honor you.